Hey guys, welcome back to the Book Team Podcast. I'm your host, Bianca Harris. We have an amazing guest with us today, uh, Chantel Chapman. Um, actually, I'll let you introduce yourself and what you do, because it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, me too. I'm like, I don't know what I do. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have a company called Chantel Chapman, and I work with women in business, and I'm really It's more, yeah, like uh, talking about the deeper reasons why we don't save or we don't, or we overspend or things like that. Right. Um, And I do some consulting on the side as well. Okay, cool. Amazing. So for those of you listening, um, we just had an event this past weekend called Architect and Chantel, myself and my mom were all kind of leading the workshop that we were doing. And exactly what you just described is what I thought was so interesting about your, like, a lot of things you said have been sticking in my head good. since I left. And um, what I loved about it is exactly that, is that you're kind of talking about the deeper um, kind of issues, I guess, or things that and relationship that we have with money. It's not just like, yeah, you're overspending because of yeah. It's like really like delving into why we actually do it. Mm-hmm. And then there was the two. Can you explain? Okay, I'm I'm jumping right in. But <laughs> there was the I want I want you to talk about this because it's been sticking in my head when I was at the mall today. Yeah. Um, the what is it? The two versus oh, versus hedonic versus yes. eudaimonic. Right. Yeah. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, for sure. So um, I uh, I've been teaching about money for many years, like probably ten years. And, um, for me, like I would obviously do all education and research to try and find the best tips, but like everything felt so surface. And, um, I was studying with one of my teachers who is a therapist and, um, she said something about like how psychologists classify like different types of well-being. And she mentioned eudaimonic well-being. So I started researching it. And I'm a big philosophy nerd. Like, I love philosophy. And as I was kind of digging a little bit deeper, I found this whole, like, argument between these two types of happiness, hedonic happiness or eudaimonic happiness. And so basically what, what it means is hedonic means, like, when you do something to decrease pain in your life and increase pleasure. And a long, long time ago, a philosopher said the true meaning of happiness is to have hedonic happiness, meaning meaning get rid of all the pain and only have pleasure. And the only time you're happy is when you have pleasure. And then Aristotle's like, fuck that shit. Like, <laughs> I would be like 500 pounds, never yeah, leave the house, exactly. smoking all day. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and it doesn't last, right? Like, right. It's like, it's just like, it only lasts in the moment. And that's kind of what Aristotle said. And he's like, he came up with this theory of eudaimonic happiness or eudaimonic well-being. And you can uh, remember the name because it comes from the diamond, like eudaimonic. And it means like, if you think of how a diamond is made, it goes through work in a, a certain process that is often hard and challenging to come out to this beautiful thing. And so eudaimonic is when you do things in life that create like a sense of flow or meaning and create growth. And Aristotle said, I believe that happiness is more based on this eudaimonic path and you'll have a longer term sense of well-being. And so I was looking at that. I was like, wait a minute. Wow. When we spend money and we spend money and we feel guilty about it, why are we doing it? And I kind of came back to that hedonic side of things. Like I know myself, like when I go and do spend money, I've been like trying to be more mindful about why. And it always comes to hedonic choice. Like I kind of feel like shit right now. I've had a hard day at work. I'm going to go buy myself something or I'm going to go to the spa or I'm going to go eat out because like, I don't feel like cooking because 
I deserve to eat out. Like it always comes from this case of pain. Well, it stopped yeah. me from buying three different things today. Really? I'm not oh, kidding. Yes. I love I'm not food. kidding. Because <laughs> I had such an exhausting week last week. Yeah. It was just, I was like depleted. Mm-hmm. And then this morning I had to deal with a lot of like just work stuff. So I was just, I've just been going and going and going, right? And so I was at the mall because I had to do a couple of returns. And then I'm like, you know, looking around. And it literally popped in my head three times. I was like, I don't actually need this shirt. I'm just doing this because I want to feel better in this moment. And I feel crappy right now. And it happened two more times. Wow. I would have spent like, I don't know, however much. Amazing. And I like, there's no, there was literally no need. Yeah. I was like, I don't need any of this. Yeah. The really, really. And I mean, like I've, I've, I've mentioned this to you before, just in you saying that, like, especially have, having dealt with addiction my whole life, that when, just when you were speaking, it came to mind. It's like, anytime I've had too much pleasure over and over and over, cause you're basically, that's what it is. Like, you're just trying to feel better. Mm-hmm. When you're using sugar, food, mm-hmm. alcohol, shopping, whatever. Yeah. Too much pleasure actually ends up making you feel even more pain in the long oh, run. Yeah. So yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah. Like, and that can be with anything. So that's kind of what came up as you were just speaking. Yeah. And it's just like, whoa. It's like when you start to become aware of that, it is mind boggling. It is mind yeah, You know? It is because you start drawing these connections within your behavior. And it's so true. Like, um, Dr. Gabor Mate, a very well-known addiction doctor, he defines addiction as when you do something over and over again that decreases pain, increases pleasure, but it does have negative consequences. And then um, when I was doing my research about, like, does this actually make sense to apply this to overspending? Um, I found I came across this study and it said that the people that practice more of this like eudaimonic decisions had a longer lasting sense of well-being where the people that practice more hedonic it was in the moment they felt great and then it was gone afterwards you know so it's like what you're saying like you're doing things to create pleasure 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 and then when it's not there it's even that much more painful that and I think it also creates like a snowball effect and that can be really with any anything that you're using <clears throat> like some outwardly thing to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. It's like with money, let's say. So you spend the money and it feels good in the moment and then you don't have any money and you're broke and then what that creates is stress mm-hmm. and this and that and then you have to make that feel better. So it's yeah. it literally just snowballs oh, and it, yeah. all, in, in all areas of your life, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really interesting to apply that especially to money because something that we need every single day, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, that's huge. Yeah. For me. Yeah, no, it, it was, I mean, I, uh, if I teach anything, I always apply it to myself first. And, you know, I do what I do because I've got a fucked up money story too. And, and for me, like, that really clicked. Like, the categorizing my spending, like, taking that moment to be like, what's the why of the buy? Like, is this a hedonic decision? And then to go even deeper too, um, when you put a lot on your plate, when you have so much going on, we naturally will go always go towards the hedonic choice um, because that's just really what's happening in our brain. And there's been research there and I, uh, on this as well. I know we talked about this at um, the event on Saturday about that study between they had two groups and they were serving chocolate cake or fruit salad. And the one group, they kind of bombarded them with all these questions and they all took the chocolate cake. The other group, they created this environment that was more relaxing and calm and more people took the fruit salad, the healthier choice, the more eudaimonic choice. And it's It's so so interesting. It's crazy. And then if you go even deeper on that, um, another thing that I like to teach is called mental accounting. So we do certain things like um, with our spending, like we put all of our money into one account, like into our checking account, Mm -hmm. and we spend out of our checking account, we pay our bills out of our checking account. Well, when you lump all your money together, it's too hard to mentally account what you have to actually spend when you're at the mall. Like what is your spending money? It's too hard to figure it out. So all of a sudden you're putting all these things you have to calculate in your brain so you're, you're going to take the easy hedonic path because you're doing that. So by simply just separating some oh my God, spending that's so money, true. yeah, it's easy to be like, I've got 
$300 to spend on clothes right now. So I'm going to go and do that. And it's going to be guilt free. It's not like a hedonic decision that like, I'm just trying to get rid of my pain and I can't figure it out. My bills, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You don't think about it like that in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you apply like the, the question, is this hedonic or eudaimonic with separating your spending money from your main account? Like, Life-changing. It, it will, yeah. Like, it will really, really help if you have overspending issues. And it's so simple. I have compulsive spending issues. Yeah. So it's more, it's more yeah. like, I don't even know if I, I don't know if I over, or maybe I do that too, but more, more what clicks for me is like in the moment, oh, I love that, I want it, boom, done. Yeah. And then after I'm like, shit. Yeah. That's more kind of like how I, and that's what I do with like all of the stuff in my life. Yeah. So it's interesting to apply that to money. And it, like I said, like I literally thought about that as I was walking around today. It's so like, I think powerful. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, um, there's been some studies with like an EEG machine, which basically looks at your brain waves and they've actually found that people that, um, will go and buy things and then, but they know like, oh, I shouldn't really be doing this most likely have some sort of trauma in their brain mm-hmm. from their childhood about money. So it like always does come from a deeper place. And when I say trauma um, around money, it could be something so simple. Like, um, like someone saying something to you, someone saying something like yeah. your parent being like, no, I can't afford that. Right. Seems so harmless. Like if you pay attention to the way parents talk to kids, you'll hear things like that all the time. We put that down. We can't afford that. Like <laughs> that could traumatize a child. Yeah. You know, if they hear it over and over again. How do you, do you want to talk a little bit about your money story and how you like, I'm curious yeah. how you even ended up doing this with your life. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think a lot of times, like the things that we do in life come from our stories, right? Like mm-hmm. our that our interests come from our stories and sometimes like we do things that are maybe an insecurity too like I feel like I have a very fucked up money story mm. so naturally I want to like understand money narratives and like help other people you know right so, and if you think of a lot of people who work in healing they typically have pain <laughs> yeah you know for sure so yeah so I feel like that for me that is um that's kind of my story. I um, grew up with a single mom and we, you know, when I was an adult, I did, did this um, thing at Christmas where you basically sponsor a family. Mm-hmm. And um, when I went through that, I realized like, oh, our Christmases were sponsored. When I was a child, I didn't really know what that meant, mm-hmm. but like we didn't have anything. And my, um, brother's dad was a heroin addict and now that I know the stories like and I can put logic behind them there was like theft that happened with him and my mom and I just all I remember is like my mom working all the time but having no money but having no money and um yeah like we lived in subsidized housing and I was told all the time like we can't afford this and I also have a really fucked up relationship with sugar too because when um, <laughs> my dad did come around, like we would get rewarded with chocolate. Like I'm gonna take you to the convenience store and buy you stuff, and it was like whoa. So I associate like your reward system in your brain. Yeah, I have the exact same thing. Yeah, it's so fucked, yeah. and um, also with money too because we never had it. Like I always. Like, I feel like I'm, like, a thirsty bitch. Like, that's how I feel. What do you mean by that? Like, I mean, like, I am just, like, if I get money, I, like, never want to not have money. Right. So. Yeah. When I have, when you're in that zone, that doesn't mean, like, you save all the time. It means you, like, you spend it because you never want to feel like you're not ever going to be in a position where you don't have it again, which seems weird. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you spend when you. Why wouldn't you save it? But it's because you, you've you never really, like, been able to do anything for yourself or you never had anything. So when you do get money, you, like, treat yourself big time. I totally relate to that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and I'm like, why am I doing this? Like mm-hmm. I made, like I'm making good money and I'm like, I just can't keep, it's like, it's like a, I can't keep it in my account. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've ever felt like, it's almost like if you were starved, right. And you get food, you just take it all in. That's wow. kind of how it is. Wow. Um, That's dangerous. Yeah. Super dangerous. And so I kind of noticed my behavior was like that. Um, and yeah, but then it was, it was very similar in other aspects of my life as well. And so, yeah, so that's how I grew up. I started working as soon as I can. When I was like 12, I was like babysitting and I was doing everything. I, was I lied about my age money. to get my first job because yeah. I was oh, like, did? gotta work. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm just like, and then it's like, it's again, so interesting how you grow up and you're, I'm like, I'm still a work yeah. addict and I'm like always working and yeah. it's yeah same but then yeah so I (laughs) it's so weird to just think about the money story so I was like working hustling and I remember I worked at this gym um where I lived and it was like the meathead gym it was was like it was called Gators Gym I feel like I know that name oh yeah like it was it's a thing right yeah you know like those muscle shirts that are like really skinny straps yeah yeah really low and like the MC Hammer yes that was like the Gators Gym vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked there. And when I was in high school, and there was a lot of people with a lot of money there. Um, and How did that I, make you feel? Um, well, it, you know, it was interesting. I wanted to align with them. But I actually lived in this town. It was It's an hour from Vancouver. And um, the, uh, the industry there was drugs. Like, it was a big, like, gang kind of area. Um, lots of people were, like, into growing marijuana and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that gym is where you had a lot of people who were kind of in that industry. But it was it was really weird. It wasn't like your, like, typical drug dealers that you would see, like, on the streets. Mm-hmm. It was like, these people looked like kind of they had businesses. And they did have businesses. And, and they had a lot of money and like they owned all the restaurants and the clubs and stuff. So I was like, I was in high school. I was working there. I was watching this. Um, And then I had also gone to this high school where it was divided. Like half, half of the school came from this really nice neighborhood and half came from this really shitty neighborhood. Hmm. I was a shitty neighborhood. So that was a challenge too. Like, to be in that environment you always feel like so embarrassed about like the car you're getting dropped off in especially because we're just taught that like you're worth what you have and like that whole thing and then having to deal with that being a teenager and like yeah as a teenager it's horrible because you're just naturally so insecure yeah so because of the issues I had with my money story and just being in that environment I really associated my worth with money and um, I was really hungry. Like, I wanted to have my own money. And I wanted to do whatever I could to have money and, like, be around money. Um, so I started dating someone when I was 16 who was, like, part of that, like, bad scene. Yeah. And it was so interesting because um, he was, like, had quite a bit of money. And he taught me so much about money, too. Um, yeah, like he was one of the reasons why I got into finance, Wow, which is really interesting. But, um, one thing about my money story with that is from the outside looking in, you would kind of look at me like maybe I was a bit of a gold digger, right? Like Hmm. I was like, okay, this guy's like got a lot of money, you know, like I'm dating this guy. Um, you're freaking me out because I'm like, this is exactly what I went through with my yeah, ex. Really? <laughs> yeah, you're freaking me out of it. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm oh just listening. Gosh. I'm like, well, check, 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 check. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So, but what was really weird is that I would never allow him to really do much for me financially. So like I, I was like a, I was the worst gold digger ever because I so still, outwardly it would look like that to someone else yeah but on the inside you wouldn't let him actually do anything yeah that's me yeah crazy hey yeah it's so weird like I'd rather like I would in the situation that I was in that was yeah very similar I would rather like 
struggle and do without than let him help me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was like, no, not happening. Especially yeah. from a guy. No. Yes. So. I was like that too. So it was like these contradictory money stories. Right. It was so interesting. And then like I, I was waitressing, um, when I didn't need to work and I just, I wouldn't really allow him to buy me much. And you know, like I didn't have any designer bags or anything like that. And even when he would ask me like what I wanted for gifts, I wouldn't really like, I'd be like, no, 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 I don't want anything. And yeah, so it was just such a weird, fascinating money story. And I'm still trying to work my way through it and Hmm. understand it because I still have so many of these patterns in my life today. Like for example, when you're consulting and you're asking, you're setting your fee or whatever, like I always naturally undercharge because like, I'm like, I don't want people to think I'm doing it for the money. You know what I mean? Like, wow. it's fucked. Yeah. So there's and it's just, your job. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I am worth it. Like yeah. I'm worth it. And so there's this level of like, I don't want anyone to think like my only value is, um, I guess the money, but yeah, it's just like, it's confusing. I don't even know. Like I'm still trying to wrap my head around it all the time, Right. but like it's a pro it's a process and I'm working through it and I've learned so much over the years. But the thing is, is I wasn't always looking at money money narratives and money relationships when I was teaching financial literacy this way. It was only until like maybe three years ago that I kind of changed the direction of what I was teaching. Cause like I knew why, what happened? Well, what happened is, um, so at 21, I became a mortgage broker and, um, I actually always wanted to be a teacher. And this boyfriend at the time was like, fuck that shit. You're going to go to school for like five years and make 30 grand a year? No, I don't think so. <laughs> he's like an entrepreneur right. drug dealer. So he's, <laughs> he's like, so thank you for that. He's like, you're going to be a mortgage broker. You're going to like make commission. You're going to make good money. So I went down that path. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did because it just, it the universe wanted me to go down that path. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, so I was noticing working as a mortgage broker that so many people have issues with money. So I started just like, I decided to open a financial literacy business and I started teaching people like, this is how to improve your credit score. This is what this means. This is what that means. And, um, cause you know, everyone's like, you need to teach financial literacy in high school. That's what our issue is with debt and all this stuff. That's bullshit. That's not what the issue is. The issue is, is we all have trauma around money. You know, we, there's so many economic narratives that control our lives. That's the issue. And I didn't actually discover that until about three years ago. Um, when I was going through, just a really painful time in my life. I had an issue with a business partner that kind of blew up. Um, I have a fiance who has two kids and it was really challenging with the kids. Um, I was working like crazy, crazy hours on what someone would consider to be like an amazing opportunity or dream job, but it just wasn't aligned with me at all. And I just kind of had a breakdown. Yeah. So I, um, I went to India randomly. <laughs> like what? Wow. Okay. okay I'll let you continue. <laughs> so, randomly. so what happened is I was having a really hard time. And then this girlfriend of mine, um, I think she just picked up on it and she, cause said, you weren't saying it. No, no. I was just, I just wasn't like living in my true self. Right. And I was overworked and yeah, tired and stuff. And she, and this girl, she wasn't even a really close friend of mine, but she's just, she's a bit of an angel, you know, you kind of just meet those people in your lives. She invited me to go to LA for the weekend with her. So we went to LA and then we went to, um, this yoga class in Santa Monica. And then after there was this like sign on the door that said there was a trauma workshop. And for some reason, I just felt like I needed to go. So we ended up going. And we met this really amazing woman named Gemini. 
and she's like a trauma healer and um cool yeah and I really hit it off with her so the next day she came over to the house and uh for breakfast and the three of us were just talking and she was like yeah I um just did ayahuasca all weekend oh, wow I was like oh whoa crazy <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I can't even that, yeah yeah <laughs> yes, it's so weird that my career story is about ayahuasca <laughs> so yeah, so she's like, yeah, I just did ayahuasca all weekend. Like, I was actually serving in the ayahuasca circle, meaning um, she was there as a trauma counselor to help people who were doing it. So right, right away, I was like, oh, I've been depressed for a couple of years. I've been feeling like shit. Um, I just need something. Like, I feel like I should do ayahuasca. Did you do it? Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Shut up. Yeah. Okay. I need to hear. <laughs> so, yeah. So this story is so weird. Okay. So, <laughs> then I go home and um, from this trip and I was telling my fiance how I met this amazing woman, Jemmy, and you know, she just like left such an impression on me. He's like, wow, that's great, whatever, time goes on. So this was like in the fall. And then my friend who brought me to L.A. is like, hey, I think I'm going to go to India to study pranayama teacher training, which is like this breath meditation, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, why don't you come? I was like, I can't. Like the mortgage product that I just built is about to launch the same week that this thing is happening. Like there's no way. And it was just like in the back of my head. And then Christmas rolls around. And for Christmas, I open my present from my fiance. And it's basically a trip to go to Ojai, California to do ayahuasca with this woman, Gemini. Which I was mind blowing that he gave me this. So, wow. Yeah. So I was like, okay, what the hell? He's like, you know, when you came back from LA, like, I just felt like I should reach out to this woman because he knew he saw me going through I got a very hard time yeah it wow. was fucked so he saw me going through this like really hard time so he's like I just feel like you should um go and work with her and I don't know if he totally knew that it was ayahuasca that I was doing because they'll never talk about it like they'll never say ayahuasca They'll just talk about it like a plant ceremony. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. They don't actually say it. Right. So I don't think he totally knew what I was doing. Right. I'm like, okay, fine. The ayahuasca retreat was one week before I was supposed to go to India. And I was still not sure I was going to go. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And um, then my friend's uh, boyfriend called me up and he was like, listen, I don't want her going to India alone. Like, I'm going to pay for you to go. So I'm like... I have to go. Like everything is pointing for me to go. So go to Ojai, do ayahuasca in a woman's circle. And what was that like? It was so crazy. Just so crazy. It's, I can't even imagine. So uh, the shaman is this like cute blonde girl from San Diego who's trained in the Amazon. She's actually in the Amazon right now, basically doing her masters of shamanism. She's been in isolation in the jungle for like seven months, but she had done that before um, for her earlier training or whatever. So it's her, and then she's got two helpers. One of them is the trauma counselor, Uh and then the other is like a support person. And it's so, it's not like doing a drug. It's, It's a medicine. And the way they talk about it, they're so respectful to the medicine. And for 10 days prior, you have to do, like, the most intense cleanse you'll ever do. Like, it was, like, no sugar, no onion, no spice, no meat, no alcohol, no drugs, no sex, no masturbation. You can't watch the news. You can't watch anything with any violence. Like, it was, like, the most cleansing cleanse. So you have to, like, prepare your body, I guess. And then I didn't know that part. Yeah. Yeah. They call it the dieta. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, so this circle, it was like a women's circle. And um, we you do it two nights in a row. And you basically get called up by the shaman. They serve it to you. You sit there. You wait 45 minutes. And then all of a sudden it kicks in. And I kept, like, <laughs> I was sitting there, like, am I, am I 
feeling it? Like, I don't know. I'm having weird thoughts, but are they my thoughts? Like, I don't even know. And then all of a sudden, and I'm always in my head a lot. Yeah. Like, I'm just so in my head. Yeah. And I think the ayahuasca wanted to be, like, to tell me, like, okay, I'm taking over. Because I felt it in my body. Wow. Like, it was all of a sudden, like, okay, this is different now. And the first night was, like, it didn't go too deep because I think you just have, like, you're so nervous. But the next night we did it was just so intense. So, so intense. And... Are you scared? I'm scared you just talking about it. Um, like, I'm freaked out. No, yeah. So what they say, like, when they talk, when the shamans talk about ayahuasca, is they say that when it's your time to do it, you'll feel okay about it. Mm. And if you do feel fearful about it, it's not your time to do it. And I didn't feel fearful. I was wow. just like, I just am ready to do this. Wow. And basically what happens is when you do it, uh, it's a psychedelic and it actually, they use it so much to heal trauma and they use it for people that have very severe um, drug addictions as well. Because what it does is it allows you to watch past experiences in your lives with no ego connection to the experience. So you're basically like watching something that happened that could be quite painful for you but you don't have any connection, so it doesn't affect you emotionally. So what's happening is your brain is like rewiring those neuro circuits. So all of a sudden, wow. when you go back and you think about that thing, it doesn't hurt as bad. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's almost like they do EMDR therapy for trauma, which is eye movement therapy. No, I don't know about this. Yeah. So basically what it is... so. Someone sits in front of you and they take their hand and they go back and forth and your eyes follow the hand. And what happens when they do that is they're creating like REM sleep. And when you go into REM, that's when you're like really processing things. And then the therapist will ask you to go to the dark place. It's traumatic. But because they're doing the EMDR, it's quite calming. So it's allowing you to like... Right. You know, restructure that memory so it's not so painful. You're taking it in a completely different way. Yeah. So Essentially I, to simplify it. Exactly. Right, okay. So ayahuasca does that on, like, steroids. Did you cry? Um, no, I was sitting there. I felt so happy. Really? Yeah. And, you know, I thought it was, like, because you have to have a call with the shaman beforehand to make sure, like, they want to make sure you're... You want to see where you're at? Yeah, mm-hmm. see where you're at. And I I was like, you know, I I think that a lot of stuff's going to come up and I'm going to be working through some painful things. And the shaman said to me, she's like, maybe you don't have to work through those painful things. Cause, and I was really in a place where I couldn't feel bliss in my life. I couldn't feel joy. It was a lot of numbing all the time. And... I sat there on the ayahuasca and I felt better than I've ever felt in my life. Wow. Like it was so, I felt so happy. And are you seeing the other people around you, mm-hmm. what's going on with them too, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was someone crying, yeah. someone laughing, someone throwing up. Yeah. 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 There's always everyone's, that, right? Yeah. yeah. Everyone's in there. Everyone's reacting. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I felt so, so good. And then the shaman is actually, she's a Chinese medicine doctor. So she asked me to go into the middle of the healing circle and she asked if she could do acupuncture on me. I was a little bit like, "Mm, pretty sure you also drank the psychedelic and you want to stick needles in me. (laughs) But I'm game, sure. (laughs) I came this far. She starts sticking needles in me. And the crazy thing is, is I was feeling a lot of pain in my solar plexus. Yeah. She was sticking them right in my solar plexus. Wow. And Just because? Or did you tell her? No, she just knew. Wow. Like, intuitively, she knew. And when she put the needles there, I just started bawling my eyes out. But it was a release cry. Mm-hmm. It was so weird. So anyways, have the ayahuasca weekend. My fiancé flies into LAX to meet me at the airport because he was just a bit worried. Um... He said that when he saw me, he'd never seen me ever look so good in my life. 
Like, he's like, you were shining like an angel. And it was funny because I hadn't showered all week. (laughs) You're like, I'm not shining because of that. I look like shit. You're like, I'm just greasy. Yeah, yeah. But so. That's amazing. Yeah. And it made a massive, massive shift in my life, this experience. And I don't, I can't even really explain it, but I do know because my teacher I've been working with for the last year is a neurofeedback expert. She's a therapist. I do know like what happens to the brain when you do psychedelics like this in an environment where there's a trauma therapist. That's the key thing. Like you have to have that support around. Um, It's not something that you go and do like on a Friday night with friends. It has to be in like more of this clinical, a spiritually clinical environment. What about (laughs) the people that didn't have the reaction that you had? How are they... Like, how did that go in that scenario? Like, that people that kind of made me freaked out a bit. Yeah, so we so we would have a sharing circle the next day. And um, the trauma counselor and everyone's there watching everyone. So when people would go into, like, fits, they would go there and do, like, some calming on them, like mm. healing or whatever. And when the women were sharing the next day in the circle, um, some of the ones that were really having very intense experiences the way they were talking the next day in this circle was like, they were so gracious. Like, Oh my God, it was so hard, but I saw this and I get it now. I understand where that person's coming from. And Oh my God, I just feel so good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the one, this, this he did in LA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like I yeah. need to write this down. Yeah. It was wow. really amazing. Wow. And uh, so that was... So he meets you in LA? Yeah, he meets me in LA. He's like, holy shit, you look amazing. He, wow. Like, he, But he just, he felt an energy shift yeah. in me. And I felt it too. And um, so that was, I'd say, step one on my journey to changing the way I teach about money. Because like... Um, I noticed um, changes in a lot of behavior um, after that, like with the way I was spending money, with the way I was eating, um, the way I was handling my time. It all felt better. Wow. Like I just felt really, really good. Yeah. So then I get home and then two weeks later, um, I get on a plane and I go to India to do meditation teacher training. And I feel... Hang on, I have to ask. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, hang on. <laughs> Were you meditating at all before this? Yes. Like, what was happening? Were you even, like, what, I don't understand how that clicked. Yeah. Yeah, so I was um, I was doing transcendental meditation. Yeah. Yeah, so the mantra yeah. meditation. That's I, how I kind of started. Yeah, meditation. Yeah. yeah, that's how I started, too. Yeah. So I was doing that for years before, but just sporadically. Mm. Like, it just... I don't know. It just was like, yeah, this is a nice thing to do. You weren't taking it as seriously. I wasn't taking it seriously. Yeah. And so I did the ayahuasca and then get on the plane, go to India. I love this. I know. I know. <laughs> and uh, I'm training and I arrive in India and I'm training with um, this woman, Pia Miller, who's a Kundalini teacher mm-hmm. and her husband, Tommy Rosen who owns Recovery 2.0, and he um, works with addicts in recovery. And if you're listening, look him up. Incredible. Next level. Incredible. Next level. Yeah. So we get there. And so hang on. I need to ask this again. You didn't know who he was at the time? No. You're just like, I'm going. This is what I'm doing. You didn't know who they were yet? No. Okay. No idea. Got it. And so I get there, and like I Googled Pia, but I didn't know Tommy was going to be there. And so I get there, meet them, meet This is the universe. Yeah. Tommy leads a pranayama, like meditation for us. And then he starts talking and he starts talking about like addiction and stuff. And I was like, holy shit, like this is, I need to bring this into my work. Like I just felt it so strongly in my stomach. Like this, this is the, the piece that I was missing in the education I was teaching. And also for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I knew all the tricks of the trade on finance, but that didn't stop me from blowing money when I shouldn't be. And then it's like, I I don't know if this is for you, but 
in in my experience, it's like I'm teaching all these things and all, and it's all great and I do believe it, but it's like I can't even practice it in my own life. So yeah. I'm just, like when I was feeling like a fraud, yeah, like I was feeling like I'm telling everybody to do this, but I can't even fucking do it. Yeah. Did you have that experience? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started teaching things like, um, like I teach people a lot about credit scores, like how to like have an amazing credit score. And I've always had a good credit score, but I basically just like kind of hacked the system to make it work well for me. Like I knew the tricks to make it good enough, but that didn't mean I still didn't like rack up credit card debt. Got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I was working this system. Right. Like, I knew it, but it still didn't change the deep behavior of, like, buying shit when I shouldn't be buying shit. Yeah. Um, and then somewhere deep down in there, yeah. you don't feel good about that. No. Even if you no. don't know that that's what it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, it, yeah. and then what happens is, again, you try to make yourself feel better and yeah. it's fucking snowball, man. It totally is. Yeah. And, I mean, there's, like, you know, feeling like an imposter is something I think that's natural we're always going to feel like that um and if you don't feel like that I feel like you're not taking enough risk right yeah you know I mean my uh, like the imposter syndrome thing Mm -hmm. I didn't even hear those words uttered to me until a friend of mine a couple years ago and I was like okay that's putting words to kind of how I felt but it's just I was like because I'm my entire career is just in like, oh, I'm going to try this and I'm winging it. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So yeah. you can start really feeling like that. Yeah. But it's so true. It's because I was putting myself out there and taking risks that I never would have taken. Yeah. yeah. So you, that kind of comes with it almost. But yeah. you have to know how to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. It's It comes with it. And just, I always say, like, turn it into fuel because it means you're taking risk. Like, if you um, don't fail, you also take away the opportunity to create something that's original. Totally. Right? So you, 100%. you have to feel like an imposter sometimes. So, but, you know, I felt like that, but like, it was like, um, it was a little deeper. Like I knew it was more like, there's something else more that I need to be adding into my own stuff to fix this stuff that I'm doing. And that's going to help other people. So when I went and met Tommy and, um, did the training with them and Tommy and I spent some time together just like talking about his work and he actually held, he had, um, he held some AA meetings in the evenings and, um, I don't drink and I don't do drugs. Um, but I still wanted to attend. I felt it. And he also was like pushing me to attend. So he knew that there was like something, some reason I had to be there. And yeah, so I went and everything that he was saying, I was like, yeah, maybe I'm not a drug addict, but I definitely have some codependency issues. I definitely have some trauma that's similar to someone that an addict might have. And everything that he was saying was just like resonating so much. I got to meet this guy. Oh my God, you do. He's amazing. Come to India. I know. I was just talking about yeah. it with my mom yesterday. Yes. <laughs> I just want to make sure because, I mean, for those listening, I mean, it doesn't matter. But I just want to make sure that if um, that I can apply to it because I don't know. Yeah, of course you can. Like how that works. But uh, I'm okay. so down. Offline, yeah. I'm so down. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. So I get back and um, I come back from India. My meditations also in India were like off the charts. Why? Because I had done ayahuasca, so mm-hmm. I had like I had experienced a different part of my brain, and when I would get deep into my meditation, it was reliving the ayahuasca feelings. Wow! Like that is how powerful, clearer, good meditation can be. Wow! Yeah. So I was really lucky to be able to experience that, um, and not saying that if you don't do ayahuasca, you won't have good meditations. What I'm saying is that just when you meditate and you get in deep and you access that part of your brain, it, you just have the feels like yep. it just feels so, so amazing. And you know, like there's some meditations you're like, yeah, okay. I feel yeah. a little bit more relaxed, but then there's other times when you open your eyes and you're like, how did 45 yeah. minutes go by? That felt like five. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're just on a different plane, right? Yeah. It's the best, it's one of the best tools that that's out there for so many aspects of your life. What kind of meditation did you do? 
Um, so we did, like, we would do pranayama. So we would do uh, every morning at 6 a.m. for an hour. We would do, we would start with, like, chanting. And then we would oh do God. some sort of breath work. Yeah. So we might do, like, breath of fire for, like, 22 minutes. Wow. Yeah, pretty intense. Wow. And when you do crazy breathing like that, you really get into different parts of your brain. And then we would um, sit in, in silence. Wow. Amazing. Just so amazing. I, I cannot speak highly <laughs> enough of that experience. So, yeah, so I come back, and I had left my consulting job basically on, like, I'm taking stress leave. So I had come back and... Um, okay, got it. Yeah. It was kind of, like, up in the air. Like, right. what am I going to do now? <laughs> And then I came back, and sure enough, the company needed my help, and um, none of the things that were stressing me in that role had changed, but my perspective had changed. So I'm still actually working in that role a little bit, like still consulting there, but none of the things that were stressing me out before stress me out anymore. Wow. And it's all because of the meditation practice and changing my perspective and mindfulness. So... I did all that. I saw how powerful it was for me. Um, and then I wanted to kind of further my education, but I wanted to learn more on the scientific side because the studies I did in India were very spiritual. Yeah. And that's what I love. That's why I'm like, oh, tell me more because I'm yeah. totally on the spiritual side, but I like hearing about the scientific mm -hmm. part because I don't really know anything about it. Yeah. Like hearing about what it actually does to your brain and like yeah. that is so interesting to me. Fascinating. Like, and what's really cool is that Tommy Rosen, he does bring in a lot of the science, cool. which is great. Um, but in Vancouver, uh, where I live, there's a meditation studio called Moment Meditation. And uh, one of the owners is my teacher, who's a neurofeedback expert and a therapist. So and, cool. Yeah. And so she was hosting a 200-hour teacher training for meditation. So I signed up for that right away. And, um, so with that, we learned all about the scientific side of the brain and meditation and, and also a lot about psychology. So that was like basically the final puzzle piece to the work that I teach now about mindfulness and applying that to your money story. And I love that so much. Yeah. It's so great. It's so fascinating. I don't know that I, like, had you only taught that, like, taught the finance part I don't even think I would have been interested because I would have just been like oh, oh yeah. whatever same thing like yeah. you know you just your brain kind of turns off because you're like yeah same thing yeah. like trips tricks on how to save money I'm not going to do it anyway you yeah, know kind of yeah. thing but when you when you add that into your business that's like yeah. I think yeah. it I think even for people that don't meditate or know nothing or know anything about this I think it would even just spark some kind of interest in knowing that okay let's talk about like what's actually going on here yeah that's huge it is huge yeah yeah, because I'm not a finance person. Like, that's just not, I don't really love finance, to be honest. But I do have an interest of, like, helping people not be so emotionally controlled by money like I was, right? So, um, yeah, and that's, I think it all just clicks really nicely. And it's, yeah, it's, and I think now with social media and, and all this data that, technology companies have on us like we're losing grasp of the control of our own narrative it's even so much more important to like understand like who you are what your narrative is and what are the narratives that are being placed on you by like marketing right how do you figure okay when you say that i totally get that but how is someone supposed to figure out who they are yeah that's a journey that's a that's a lifelong journey that's think what life is about yeah I just I find that so interesting to even think about that concept because yeah. it's like some people I mean even me sometimes if I'm super busy and I'm not meditating and I'm not coming back to like just centering whatever the who I am is like I'm just not even in touch with myself yeah I start to get controlled by all of the things around me too yeah, yeah you know absolutely. so it's like imagine you never even look at that in your life ever well, you're yeah. just asleep I think there's a lot of people like that yeah. and I think they numb a lot and they have a lot but you know, that question is, it's not something I think we have. I, I don't think it's about having an answer mm -hmm. to it. I think it's about asking the question. 
you know what I mean? Yep. It's like, I always it's about say, just looking. Yeah. Just looking. Just, yeah. Just be like my teacher, uh, Hiroko, who is the neurofeedback uh, therapist. She always says like, be a curious scientist. Just be a curious scientist. Just ask the questions. Just notice. I love that. Yeah. And that's what I love about Oprah so much. Yeah. Like you're Oprah. What do you have to be curious about still? And she's so curious. Yeah. Like she's so curious about everything and everyone and people's stories. And it's yeah. like, imagine her life and yeah. like the scale that her life is on. And she's so curious. That's what makes you love her. Yeah. You know, and she's still learning and still like taking on evolving. There's something quite that's... radiant about it. Yeah. Like, you know, it's and almost like a curious like child that's like experiencing new things like that's so fun like that's a nice energy yeah beautiful yeah I loved everything you said and I'm so glad that I like learned all of this about you that's so cool because now I'm like what am I gonna do when am I doing ayahuasca when I'm going to India (laughs) (laughs) I know um Do you want to just tell people maybe like what you're working on next? If you have anything that you want to kind of like share. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I just re relaunched my new brand, um, to really encompass this kind of direction about mindful money. Um, it's really cute guys. I love the branding. I don't know if I've ever told you that it's, it's really different and fun and makes, especially for me when I'm hate thinking about money or like finances, like just those words. Yeah. So when I saw it, I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like, I don't feel like, annoyed by like having to deal with my shit oh, you know yeah that's yeah good that's, yeah that's exactly what I'm <laughs> yeah yeah because like I you know I want to use like fun visuals I love hip-hop music like I and I like to bring that into it I love hip-hop music because they talk about money so much and like if you think about some of the lyrics, <laughs> everything yeah, yeah. It's, but if you and you listen to like you listen really deeply about the um, rapper's money story and you think about it I find it so fascinating and I just love it it's super fascinating because yeah. most of them grew up with no money yeah so to hear how they talk about money and it's literally the center of their universe yeah it's really interesting yeah and I I connect because that connects so much with my story and the hustler thing for yeah. me I'm like yeah. yes yeah. right yeah. It's like two sides of my brain. I'm like, yeah, I love this because it's like, yeah, my hustle side. And then yeah. the other side is like, yeah, but you're also exhausted, tired, depleted, all of these things, right? Yeah. So it's like, it, there's always an impact to everything you do. That's so true. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So my new website I just launched, um, I am working on a new business, uh, which is an online education business. This, this business actually comes from probably money story too. I could never um, afford to go to university. Um, my mom could never afford it. Um, so it was like never even talked about and for me at all. And um, so I'd be kind of, I kind of like resented it a bit and created my own path that didn't include any post-secondary education except for getting the license to be a mortgage broker. And that was like a It was never a discussion. Never. Interesting. Like it was just kind of like, yeah, it was just like, what do you want to do? Like one point I wanted to be a makeup artist and then wanted to be a teacher. But then I also always felt I wasn't smart enough um, because I – if you ever experience trauma, there's a part of your brain called the Broca's area that gets impacted. And that is where you have a hard ability um, to articulate things. Like it impacts speech and language. And I had like a big issue with that in school. So it always made me feel like stupid because I didn't deal with that. You're freaking me out. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I'm like, I how know. are our lives the same? I know. <laughs> but you know, and it's kind of like, it was weird too, because like I would go to classes, I would go to like hard classes, like philosophy. I would get it. I'm like, I get this. I got that. And then I would like fail my essay. I'm like, what? It's because I couldn't get out. Like there was a part of my here? that, yeah, I couldn't get it out and so I just always kind of was treated like I was stupid and I never really had any opportunity. And it actually wasn't until I dated that like gangster that <laughs> I believed that I could do something. 
so, so weird how life works so out. So weird, but uh, yeah, and he's like, yeah, just go do this correspondence class because I'm a mortgage broker. Because he's and, like, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Yeah, so that rubbed off of me. <laughs> and yeah, so I didn't take the traditional path of like university, and um, so that's part of my story. And then also looking at so much people, so many people with student loan debt. I've always had this dream to create an alternative school. So um, I'm working with a partner. We're creating an online school, um, which is like very affordable education for people. And it teaches stuff that is um, more skill building. That's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. And then it. we also have a big charitable component where it's like a one for one model. Every time we sell a class. We're gonna give um, we're gonna give a scholarship to a whole at-risk youth organization all across North America. So it's like trying to put education in people's hands that grew up in poverty or were marginalized in some area of their life. So that's what so I'm great. working on now. Love it. Which I'm so excited about. That's incredible. And you said it launches when ish? Probably end of May. Okay, cool. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Thank I'm you. so excited to see what that turns out like. So like much. it's important and especially because like I have a weird thing with school yeah. <laughs> like I see my sister and she's in university and she's working so hard and like who knows what that can that can turn out great but I just have this it's and what I what I'm what I'm trying to articulate that I can't is that that doesn't work for everybody mm-hmm. like it was so difficult for me growing up sitting yeah. in a chair and listening to somebody I didn't learn it all that way yeah like I've always learned by doing mm-hmm. and so I think having different models of what education looks like is super important because yeah. if I had had that growing up, I think that it would have been like so powerful for me because I just did not it's learn in the so way that we're true. taught. And I took that on and I get, I was like, I'm too stupid. Like I'm just yeah. stupid. I'm not getting it. Yeah. And it just was, I didn't realize till later that it was just because of how it was being delivered and my yeah. brain didn't, Yeah. you know, do you know that the, um, most popular, like with the all time most used TED talk is, um, why education kills creativity. Wait, have I listened to that? Who did the talk? Uh, some doctor, but woman, no, it was a man, but it's, I find it very fascinating that that's the most viewed TED talk ever, because I feel like a lot of people are kind of at this point, like education needs to be disruptive. It's not like one size fits all type thing, right? You know, there's certain people like the persona of a doctor or a lawyer. That's the type of person that's, you know, going to thrive in an educational environment. But then what about all those other people that don't? Like, why do they have to have the same structure of education than those people? You know what I mean? 100%. And I see it so much with my sister. And it's like, I notice that it just becomes like, just, it's all about, being competitive like I gotta get there I gotta get there people around me are getting there I'm hitting this grade I gotta get to it and I'm like but are you learning anything yeah are you like even enjoying what you're like you yeah. know and that for me is like alarming yeah especially because I it brings me back to when I was going to school right and I wasn't com- I, I, my way of dealing with it was not being competitive at all I was like I'm just not gonna do it yeah like fuck it yeah because <laughs> I was like I can't you know and in the moment you're not realizing what's actually happening until mm-hmm. you kind of sit back and look at it right but that whole, the whole school system really alarms me and like makes me scared Yeah. <laughs> because I feel like people, especially through doing whip in our events, it's like nine times out of 10 people come up to us and they're like, I hate my job. I don't know how to do, like, they're in this educational system or this really structured job and they want to do this creative thing. Yeah. It's so many people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how is this still a thing? Like nobody's going to live to their fullest p- potential being in that kind of structure. Mm-hmm. Not everybody anyway. And most yeah. people that I talk to doesn't work. It's scary. It is scary. Yeah, it's scary. But it's nice that, like, you have organizations like WIP where women can come and, you know, like... Have an outlet, at have least. Have an outlet. But also, it it is... What you're doing is education. Right. Right? Like, you putting together an event is education for some female who's, like, thinking, maybe one day I can do something like this. You I know? never thought about it that way. Oh, like, yeah. with that word. Yeah. 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 Cool. It's education. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I just think that what you guys are doing is so important. Like, as soon as you told me, I was like, oh, okay. Like, when you kind of explained what it was, I was like, that that's so, like, I know so many people that I could, like, that would be able to use that and actually thrive within it. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. Not just feel like, oh, I got to do this because I have to do it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, do it because you're interested and you want to learn about the topic. Yeah. Cool. Totally. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you this so is one much. of my favorite podcasts. Oh, yeah, really thank good. Thank you. I, I had think... a great time. And then tell people where they can find you if you give them your handle and then spell oh, it out. Yeah, um, at uh, Chantel Chapman, C H A N T E L C H A P M A N, or at What the Finances. W T F. How do you do? Oh, What the. Oh, so it's all spelled out. Yeah, What the Finances. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Um, you guys can find me at I am Bianca Harris if you don't know that already and whip Toronto on basically everything. Thank you guys so much for listening and till next time.